Hey guys, Montel here, and welcome to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. And I'm so glad to be back and banging out some more podcasts so that you can hear what's going on in the cannabis industry around the country and around the world. And I'm really psyched about today's guest. And we're going to get into that in just a second. But, you know, I'm going to tell you, I have been really a little bit more, I hate to say it, I'm so disappointed in our industry right now because everybody seems to be just sitting back and waiting to figure out what's going to happen next. And our activism has seemed to come to a screeching halt. I know that somebody's going to say, oh, I'm going to tell you, you're not listening to what's going on around the country. I am listening to what's going on around the country. But I'm going to tell you that a majority of what's going on around the country are people are trying to get their own little license and trying to get their own little feet them and really not putting out the, 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 the effort together to see if we can move the legislation needle forward. And why? I mean, what, let's look at it. The country's in just, I don't think we've ever been in this state of turmoil. But if there was one thing that everybody should recognize, and I'm not speaking down on one side or the other, I'm just talking to you straight up about the state of politics, it seems like if there's only one thing in this entire country that everybody agrees upon, that must be cannabis. Because if we look back to January 6th, uh, and you look back at, at, at and listen to some of the reports, there was a lot of pot smoking going on when people were trying to raid the Capitol. I'm just saying. So whether you're right or left, there was a lot of smoking going on. So a lot of those people that were doing a lot of that smoking need to come together and say, look, you know, I don't believe in what you believe in, but I do believe in cannabis. Let's start getting these politicians to recognize that it's no longer time for taxation without representation. You're taking taxes out of what we're selling in all of the states across the country where it's been made legal. If you're taking taxes, then how about represent this industry? And when I say represent this industry, an industry that's right now, information has come out that in 2021, in the legal market alone, the cannabis industry sold over $25 billion worth of product. That's what they be, folks, be, $25 billion worth of products. Let's put this in perspective. Milk in every grocery store in the entire country didn't sell more than $18.5 billion worth of product. How about energy drinks? Everybody loves the energy drink. You think everybody's drinking the devil out of a coffee? $23 billion worth of product. Cannabis, $25 billion in the legal market. We know that the black and gray markets probably sold twice that. So we're talking about somewhere around $75 billion worth of product has already been sold last year. 107,000 jobs created. The, the number one job creating vertical in America. And I think it's well over 200 jobs a day are created in this business every single day. And as we look at more states coming online, New Jersey, New York, you know, um, uh, Delaware, which is still skirting the edge, uh, Maryland, all these states that are coming online now that are really starting to, to gain a robust footing in the industry, we're probably looking at an industry that's going to sell 2022 alone, probably $50 billion worth of, I'd say, close to double what they sold last year. And according to an article in uh, the January 2022 Rolling Stone magazine, the U.S. is pulled ahead of as one of the most valuable cannabis markets in the world. With the latest projections, 
that it'll be worth over $90 billion by 2026. And they're talking about the legal market, $90 billion. Let's go back again to the gray and dark market. That's double that, triple that. So we're looking at probably $270 billion worth of cannabis being sold. However, when you look at this industry, representation across the board in desperate individual groups is really hurting, especially when it comes to females. Female leadership in the industry in the industry has declined to record lows. My guest today is no stranger to the male-dominated industry. She is using her voice to create space for those who've been marginalized and is speaking up about the disparities she's faced in the cannabis industry. She is the founder of the Black Market Group. Anik Goldsmith, thank you so much for being a part of Let's Be Blunt with Montel today. Thank you so much for having me. That was a great intro. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, thank you. Well, look, I mean, let's talk a little bit about this as an industry. Let's start. Let's go back and talk about your start and your background. Where are you from and how did you first get involved in the cannabis space? Um, I worked in the traditional market, as we like to call it, uh, in New York, just as a middle for a long time. Um, I worked at, I had like a normal, regular job also at the same time. Um, but I came out to Northern California and Humboldt County and became a cultivator and started working in the cultivation space, which is super, super male dominated, super white male dominated environment. Um, and, uh, up until 2018, at which point I was actually arrested for, uh, possession with intent to distribute. Um, and went on, ended up on felony probation, which is when I entered like the legitimate time period of my career. Um, I ended up uh, operating several hemp farms and working, um, looking at cannabis from kind of like a 30,000 foot perspective because we didn't have these uh, false barriers for doing conducting business from inner, you know, siloed markets right now that exist in our cannabis space are unnatural. Um, and like unnaturally affect our supply chain because you have to produce cannabis that you smoke in the state that it's produced, blah, 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 blah. So working in the hemp space allowed me to understand how the supply chain was really going to operate in the long term. And now we're back here with uh, partnering with Rakim doing this, his cannabis brand. So it's kind of been a whole, the whole arc and journey. <laughs> so, I mean, you, you were part of the legacy market to begin with, and then you shifted over now and become a part of the legal market only through hemp, or are you actually growing cannabis? And how does that work with your, your did you, were you felony convicted? Uh, I wasn't convicted. I ended up being able to take a plea bit deal. I, I got an immense amount of privilege from being in my position of having resources and not being like right away treated like a violent criminal as some people's experience with law enforcement is. I had every privilege in the entire planet that allowed me to end up just having a plea deal with them and that completed. So now that I can operate in the THC space, um, I no longer have any farm operations. So what we do is partner with strategically partner with operators, both trying to promote legacy operators. We work with a lot of black and brown farms right now, and we're trying to push that more because our entire brand position is um, based on outdoor production. Um, and as we know, there aren't a lot of black folks in that space. And so we're, what we try to do is identify folks in that space and to be able to partner with them um, and create predictability for them as an operator, because I've been there before. Um, and that for us, you know, creates like a diverse group of folks that we get to supply our brand through. So you are supplying basically the feedstock for companies that are have individual brands. 
As actually our company, Black Market Group, does Rakim's cannabis line, which is gotcha. where we started. And then we're moving on to other folks in rap and hip hop space because it actually makes a lot of sense when you're a guy like Rakim, who is really steeped in legacy and you understand how important it is when somebody builds something and then, you know, the industry or whatever that thing is that you helped build evolves and you still think that people who helped build it should have a place in it. So he, uh, like folks like that and folks like from Mob Deep, they really understand that um, on a fundamental level. So it made sense for us to pair those two pieces together. And you provide him with the feed stock that he uses for his product. Yeah, absolutely. And we do the packaging, uh, art, events, things like that, and help him. And like the thing was going to him and saying, cool, there's like a million brands out there that are really expensive, like rapper weed. How about something that is has an ethical supply chain that everybody who works makes at least $20 an hour? Everybody in the entire supply chain makes at least $20 an hour. How about supplying from farms that went through the legacy, went through legalization and have existed before that? So, and how about you provide people who want to buy cannabis for like reasonably priced, high quality cannabis? How about that for a brand position? That does more for you, Rakim, as a legacy in hip hop space, connecting with the folks who are your fans than $80, you know, rapper weed ever will do. And now you're in California, so you can only supply to California. California has become kind of like, you know, worse than the Wild Wild West in the last couple of years, has it not? It's a nightmare. I mean, but nationwide, it's the same issue. California is just like the big, ugly pimple head on it. it the reality is, is that 80% of cannabis purchased in this country is purchased from the unregulated gray market or traditional market, despite the fact that seven out of every 10 Americans live in a state with access to legal recreational cannabis. So we look at that $25 billion that you were talking about. The, the real market estimation is that the total market size is probably closer to $100 billion. That means right. that because we're so myopic and so obsessed with taxing the living crap out of operators at every step, like, because that was the great promise, the great compromise. We're like, we'll let you take so much tax money, just make it legal. But the reality is, is that you can't compete with like the leanness and the entrepreneurship and the fact that consumers in New York don't want what's grown in New York currently right currently we are also in new york by the way we have we're working with two of the provisional cultivators under their new licensing program as well but the goal is to establish the reality is consumers like weed that was grown here in california this is where the best cannabis in the country is and even in california 80 percent of cannabis purchased is from the unregulated market we have a real problem we are never ever ever going to uproot or or disentangle this unregulated market if we don't start to look more honestly about what it means, about why. Because it's not just the taxes. That's a big part of it. But there's a but big I think, you know, from, from from my perspective, part of that problem is is our, us as an industry. Because, you know, the and, and I think uh, from a governmental standpoint, they've done the they've done what they feel is the right thing. That's to pit us against each other, forcing us to scrape for the scraps, knowing that Everybody scraping for scraps is never going to be in a position to actually do the kind of lobbying that they're going to need to do to change some of the laws because you're so busy just trying to keep your head above water. Well, and we're real, we're also very good at this industry at getting um, ridiculous and fracturing based on like really things that don't matter, right? 
we can't all stand under the same umbrella because like that guy grows that way and that guy does his business that way. We're very good at at, at pitting our own souls against each other in this industry because there's a lot of ego in the game and there's a lot of history and there's a lot of emotions and a lot of feelings that come from, you know, folks made real sacrifices. I would say the people on the retail side probably, even though I come from the cultivator side, those black and brown folks on the retail side of the traditional market paid much more significantly than the cultivator operators did. But I, 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 there's a lot of feelings <laughs> involved. The taxes are crippling though. How do, you, uh, how do you compete if you have to mark things up at that many levels? How do you compete with the fact that in New York right now, how high quality light depth on the unregulated market is selling for six to $800 a pound? How do you compete with that? Right. And how do you compete with the reality? I mean, actually, this is kind of kicks into a, a side project that we started working. I'm building a, I'm working with folks to build a tech platform to put the power back on the dealers because people hate dispensaries already. We actually um, may be working, we're working towards uh, doing a project with Meta World Peace with Ron Artest on this as well. And Rakim has also gotten involved as well. But basically, we want to build a platform that um, this has been a goal of mine for a long time. Build a platform that redemocratizes cannabis sales again because people hate dispensaries. I hate to break it to you, dispensaries. I got a lot of lovely friends who own dispensaries, but unless you offer more than just a place to transact business, it's really hard to compete with a dealer who comes to your home, knows your taste, curates everything, and you're like supporting their small business. Um, people who work in dispensaries make $17 an hour, right? A dealer is a six-figure earner who is incentivized to care about you. So I want to legitimize those folks. They're they're like real business people and they know how to manage their stuff. And so from creating a tech platform that lets them set their own margins and continue to engage in that business feels like a really strong way to actually get a hold on what is actually happening in this industry, right? The old, my, my viewpoint for all the way around all my businesses, the old way worked really friggin' well let's just keep doing it that way and figure out how to make that legal instead of reinventing something. Yeah. But you know, the fed's not going to let you do that because that means that they have to look at each individual dealer as an individual, you know, small business and LLC. They're going to require them to, to, you know, somehow register their business. And then of course, you know, there's a lot of small business people like that who don't want to go through that process because they know that once their name's on a book, somebody's going to come looking. So but a lot of people did. I know a lot of people who own dispensaries, who own cannabis farms, who were black market, who came out of the shadows, who said, I want to get involved in this. And right now we can run them as there's nothing stopping us from running them under a retail delivery license. Um, we just let them set their own margin. So they're 1099, right? They, they dictate their own operating hours. They set their own margin. And we have got actually on the inventory level tracking. The reality is we know that everybody isn't going to jump into, into the legal market, just like we knew back when legalization happened. It was like 30 or 40% of people, but there's probably somewhere between 300 and 400,000 dealers in this country that do six figures a year in business. And as someone who has been out there, you get taxed by the street. You get taxed by having packs sealed, seized. I've had cars seized. I've had cash just like literally taken out of my pockets by law enforcement for no reason. They just turn your purse upside down, empty down, and go have a good day. So the, these things already tax you. If I sat down and did the math of how much I made, and how much tax I paid to the system in those time periods, they come pretty close to each other. So I think, I think that, you know, I, not everybody agrees with me. 
No, that's okay. Well, tell me a little bit more about Black Market Group. Let's talk about how it was founded and who are your partners. And you already mentioned Rakim, but, but tell me a little bit more about the company. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Art, my primary partner and I, we got together last year because we were working on a project. One of our other business partners is an A&R in the rap and hip hop space. And he does um, a lot of work with features and things like that, does stuff with Wu-Tang. And for me, it's always been about preserving, and same art, my partner agrees fully. It's always about been about preserving um, legacy operators, folks who paid the price, folks who have been here since before. And But right now, I look around and I know what those folks need. They need someone to buy their cannabis at a reasonable price. Like, th- that's it. That solves a lot of problems for people. Just please buy my weed and don't, ma- don't pay me $300 for it. Pay me a price that I can continue to live in dignity and grow more. And so for us, nobody cares who I am, right? Like I can talk until I'm blue in the face, but nobody cares. So we recognize that we had to pair with some folks that um, could communicate the message of, hey, vote with your dollars, support legacy operators, and B, um, that we can develop larger brands around. And and so that's where Rakim came in. That's where all these conversations that we're having with Infamous Farms and Wu-Tang and folks like that came in because... You know, I can't be the voice of that, but there are people who do have a platform that can be the voice of that. And if I can build a mid-market affordable product, that means that I can continue to buy product from small operators and get everybody, not everybody, but help save some of the legacy operators until we all get to Fed legalization. Because here in California, as you know, we're all stuck with our own product. So until we can take it out and export it out of the state, you know, there isn't a lot that small farm folks can do other than just tread water and survive. But you just said until we can start to, to, to get it out of the state, well, it's not going to happen until we convince legislators to change some of these draconian laws. And again, there's so many people in California trying to guarantee their own little footprint and not working together enough to go and lobby. I mean, well, come on, $25 billion in sales. Okay, let's, let's say the 30% of that went off the top in... Um, taxes and fees, that still leaves, you know, around $15 billion, $16 billion. I mean, if the industry decided to take even 10% of that and start doing what pharma did, and that is convincing politicians in Washington, D.C. by taking them to dinner, buying them a drink, hanging out with them on the corner, you know, down from the Capitol, um, you know, those are how you get votes. And that's how you change attitudes. But we can't seem to convince this industry to come together to use that 10% to make a difference. And we have to start doing that, or you're going to be looking at this for the next 10 years. The CGA does a lot of good work. There's also the, the California Growers Alliance, there's the Humboldt Growers Alliance, Mendocino Growers Guild. The problem is those folks don't have a damn dime to their name right now. This is, should have happened when we all had a little more paper. But, you know, the, the state tipped a lot of us upside down and shook our pockets when we went legal. I know folks who it cost them every penny they ever had just to be able to go legal. And a lot of folks can barely survive right now. But, you know, we do have industry. Um, <coughs> the MORE Act is a nightmare. Adding yeah. another layer of, of taxation on top of us in general is not going to be the problem. It's not going to be the resolution. A- any kind of federal legislation that adds more tax. There's no point. Like we can continue to build this industry legally all we want and have interstate commerce and have all that. But if we tax it so that it's not competitive with the unregulated market, then there's no point. 
doesn't right. do anything good for anybody. We have to be able to be competitive with the unregulated market and give consumers what they want, which is delivery cannabis. Now, so we'll talk a little bit about more about some of the other rappers that you're working with and their contributions to the industry. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you want to know how to become a social media influencer, how to grow an online business, how to make money from your laptop and build a profitable online company? Well, I'm going to show you how in my podcast, Living the Red Life. I built a million-dollar company at the age of 25, a $10 million company at the age of 30, and now I'm the A-list celebrity marketer that speaks around the world on how to transform businesses and make them profitable using Facebook ads, marketing, social media. My name's Rudy Moore, and I'm super pumped to bring you my podcast, Living the Red Life. I know this is going to become your new favorite podcast, and I'm going to show you how to grow a profitable online company step-by-step every single week. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, what we're working on next is getting um, Infamous Farms up, which is um, Big Twins and Havoc from Mob Deep. Uh, that's been the next project. And that actually, uh, Twins and I are also working on this tech platform as well. He's decided to come on board and help me do dealer recruitment, which we recognize is going to be a big piece. We want to center our focus on some of these aspects with the dealers app. Um in places where people have been marginalized the most. So uh, when we uh, eventually launch dealers in New York, a lot of these folks are from Queensbridge houses. That's the largest project housing in the world, right? There's like over 7,000 folks living in there. A stone's throw from Manhattan, this like economic powerhouse, and yet there's all these folks living. Um, they can't, you know, if, if you don't make money on books, if your money isn't legitimized, then you can't get out of the hood and you can't do stuff like that. So twins and I, big twins and I have been working on on this project and developing a mechanism for dealer outreach um, because we think that legitimacy is like a huge path forward for folks. It really all ties in with a lot of these pieces. Well, talk to me a little bit about you. I mean, uh, you know, you're, you're a, a, a Caucasian female in this business working with rappers. I mean, right there alone, I'm sure that there's a target on your back and, and, and a, and a sign in front that says no. Um, I tend to not have a lot of problems, uh, no matter where I live, because I approach things with honestness and kindness and general, I'm very direct. So, you know, I think sometimes there's people who look at me and are like, who is that little like white lady? And I'm also very mindful of the fact that like, I am a white person in the middle of a very black brand. Like there's a, a obligation to me to make sure that I'm like paying attention to what's going on around me and not just being like weirdly in the middle of that. But, um, you know, even before I was in cannabis, I was in male dominated spaces. So it just, my dad never told me uh, that there were things I'm not supposed to do because I'm a five foot two woman. And so it has never occurred to me my entire life that there are things that I'm not supposed to do because I'm a five foot two woman. And I am grateful for my dad every day for that. But anyway, we look at what's been going on in the industry. I mean, in the last year, it just seems like a lot of the five foot two other women in the industry have kind of fallen out. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I, I, I think from a representation standpoint, as a vertical, as an industry in America, you know, this industry is now fallen well below 30% female representation. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's starting to fall even more. I mean, what what do you think about that? I, I mean, there are environments that you work, that there's so much ego involved, and there's so much like that fragile male masculinity, all that. There, I worked on farms where I was like, nope, not today. Like, in early in my career, when I 
didn't know if I was going to be able to get another job at another farm where I was just like, I'm not putting myself through this. And that's what happens to a lot of women. There's a lot of bullying. There's a lot of, I mean, I'm loud. I'm pushy. I'm like a person of Jewish heritage from New York. So these, some of these things don't bother me as much, but like you, it, it sucks. I think for a lot of folks to have to fight for your, to even have words come out of your mouth, right? Like you just get trampled by people. And a lot of the energy, a lot of the women, the energy of the women who are in the space is very nurturing um, and very maternal, like especially in the cultivator side. There's a lot of these like really amazing like plant mamas, but they have a really gentle energy and they're not gonna, they're not gonna fight. They're not gonna sit here and fight because that's not their style. And some of that like hyper-masculine stuff that goes on, a lot of the ego game, you know, that's a, always been a part of this industry is really off-putting to women. It doesn't create clout. But then the problem is you end up with companies that are just like run by one type of person. And you can look at companies like MedMen, not to name check y'all, but to name check y'all, uh, companies that are run in that viewpoint and their track record reflects it. You know, diversity is strength. Diversity of voices is strength. Diversity of backgrounds is strength. You are only ecosystems. The more diverse, the stronger they are. Your garden, my cannabis garden, the more diverse the bio, the microbiome and the biologicals, the stronger the, the cannabis garden is. And so we see like the problems with lack of authenticity. I mean, even cookies kills it because they're authentic. They may be like super male dominated at this point, but that's coming from somebody who has actually been in this industry pre-legalization and, you know, allegedly used to move packs and has a connection to the culture of the industry. You know, and that's still masculine, but not like toxic masculine. Got so, it. so how do you think that we can get more women to come back to the industry? I mean, what is it? What's it going to take? You know, um, I mean, I have a I have a brand right now that I've I've relaunched in uh, nationally, uh, both a CBD brand and a THC brand. I, I launched my THC brand in Massachusetts, and the president of my company is a female, and who does you know eighty percent, ninety percent, ninety five percent of all the work for the company. And everything from distribution to making a deal, signing a contract, she does it all. I mean, literally, it's 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 a brand in my name, but you know, I turn over most of the, the authority for decision making to Melanie McLaughlin. I, I want to team you two up together because I think that um, there may be some things that we might be able to do together in the future. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's literally just it. It's the same thing as like of what has getting said anytime that you are trying to excuse your own, not you, a person or an industry is trying to excuse themselves for not having participation from a diverse group of backgrounds is, oh, well, there was no one there. Bro, you have to go out of your way. You just have to like go, for, the reason that there's no one there is because there's no one in the, in the leadership pipeline because you put everybody off early on. It's the same reason why we have really low participation from black and brown folks. I mean, it's even less, right? It's like a tiny fraction of black and brown folks who own cannabis businesses, right? A tiny, tiny fraction of outdoor growers, tiny, tiny fraction. Is that you just, if you're in a position when you're making those choices, you gotta proactively say like, this is what I'm doing. I am going to go look for a woman. Sorry, that sounds like it's like, you know, reverse sexism, which is not a thing. The, the reality is, is that, you know, you, we have to be more proactive and we have to create leadership pipelines. That means hiring people in positions that are not just trimmers. That's where women were relegated in this industry for a really long time. When I first got hired, I got hired as a trimmer. Ooh, it's a girl. She's cute. Whatever. You know what I mean? But the reality is, is that I wanted, there's very little stopping me. 
but I wanted to learn about the farm work and wanted to learn about those pieces. And you just, we have to include those folks early on in the pipeline and not just say, cool, all you get to do is the monotonous lady work now. You know, you, know, you say early on in the pipeline, but I think this pipeline period is still so early on. I mean, I don't think people understand that, you know, the canvas industry in America is like the Wright brothers pushing that plane down that, that hill by a beach. You know, we haven't even put engines on it yet the right way or put the engines on it to sustain it. We haven't gotten the jet engines yet. So we are still in this fledgling, you know, very, very early on part of this business that, uh, it would behoove, I think, you know, I think you made a comment about the fact that what people don't understand is that it's going to take women to actually help move this industry forward. I mean, it's strength, right? Like it's all strength. About, and that's why I always have these, I mean, it's crushing right now being in the cannabis industry. It is. It's deflating at times. It's really challenging. Um, you kind of have to be an insane person to continue to wake up every day and just be like, I swear it's going to get better. Because I, I believe it can. And I also believe we're all in a position right now where we can make this industry what we want to. Like, we, it's still early, right? It's still nascent. It's a little baby right now. We can still do this. We can still save this thing. We can still make it not terrible. We can still make it a source of living wage jobs and, like, dignity and work. You know, cannabis farming is a gateway. Do you know how many people I know who are real farmers right now who, who produce food? And because they started in cannabis, they like raise livestock and run row crop market gardens and stuff because it's a gateway. Because there's something about it that's like, I don't know, it just makes you want to change your life. There's something about when you get involved in this industry, even when it's there. And I want to save some of that magic that used to be there that's still there. That just, I mean, I remember I got to Humboldt and it was, it was magic. It was something, first of all, talk about the sexism. It was this true meritocracy. I can literally move more dirt from point A to point B. You, I can grow better cannabis than you. You can't tell me that I suck or I'm not worth it or I don't deserve being here because I'm a woman. Like it was, and then other than that, there was just something so incredibly magical about turning dirt into something that people value so seriously. You said it at the top of the show. It's, I mean, all those racist, insane people running through the Capitol. Oh, they're smoking weed. Like, oh, the first guy. I'm bummed. Those are the first people who got to smoke weed in the White House. Like that's, I mean, not in the White House, in the Capitol. That's a real disappointment. But other than that, like it is a unifier. When I worked with hemp farmers, I'm working with Republicans. I'm working with all sorts of folks because this plant, you know, creates bonds between big twins and I are like, that's like one of my best friends. Do you think one of my best friends would be a rapper at this point in my life? Like, how would that even happen? But it's this plant that brings people together and it can do that. It really can. Like you go to the real events like Emerald Cup Awards and it's just a room full of weirdos. There's a guy on stilts. There is a dude with like a, a zoot suit and like an eight foot long feather in his hat, right? There's a man dressed as a wizard because it, this was like a place for everybody to be. It's something that we all unify on. So we have to somehow preserve the magic of that energy, that real authentic connection to the culture and to this plant as we go forward and build an industry. That's how we keep it diverse. That's how we keep it healthy. And, and I mean, but, but how do we convince other people and owners in this business to recognize the fact that diversity is what's going to move this industry forward? Maybe we convince the consumers instead. 
There's right. a lot of you drive people's success. That was always my opinion is I'm not going to be able to tell the government that, you know, this is and that's, but like, maybe we could just teach the consumers. That's always been the approach for me is. Well, I mean, but I think that's, that's another area where this industry is so sorely yeah. missing the boat. We're sorely missing the boat. We don't spend as much time even educating the consumers. We yeah. don't spend as much time reaching out to the consumer. We say, we got something here, come get it. But we don't explain to them why. We or don't why terpenes or why sun grown or why. Right. Is yeah, I know. I have that conversation all the time, nonstop. Yeah. I mean, how do we convince the rest of this industry to start having these conversations? Because, I mean, look, Pharma learned this a long time ago. That's the reason why when you turn on your television set, you know, every 15 minutes or every 12 minutes, you see a commercial come on talking about some brand new thing to shove up your ass. I mean, basically some <laughs> brand new pill, some brand new pill, some suppository. Yes, so take this pill, take that pill, take this pill, take that pill, take this pill. But they do that because they know that if they beat you over the head in your living room, you'll go in your doctor's office and say, well, can you tell me about this eloquence? Can you tell me about this, this? Can you tell me about this, this? They know the names of things and they don't have any idea what it does. But they right. And that's part of the problem. We have not been able to come together and even recognize the fact that, yes, there were laws put in place to thwart us from marketing, but there aren't laws that thwart us from educating. Honestly, this and is something that I've been thinking about, too, is that we can produce PSAs and run. I've actually been thinking about this because I can't advertise, but I can produce educational material. Absolutely. That's something I've been I've been trying to beat this industry over the head. As a matter of fact, I'm getting ready to do something. I'm working with a group again. One of uh, you know, I, I went from ten dispensaries in Massachusetts to twenty-seven dispensaries plus and I'm about to go to even more with my THC products that are really very, very specialized, medicalized products that um I've now convinced one of the the dispensaries that is a, one of the larger ones. So let's start putting on events that are kind of like patient appreciation events. Let's put on events in the areas because now a lot of the new states that are passing legislation have allowed for some form of public consumption, even in private places. Well, why not take those private places, put on a big event, invite people out that are just a can of curious. Mm -hmm. Let them come out and let them be schooled by people who are extremely knowledgeable about you know, terpenes, about, you know, flavonoids, about, you know, uh, uh, CBD. Entourage, bioaccumulation. Yeah. yeah. Listen, um, there's a dispensary in Los Angeles called Josephine and Billy's. It's um, Whitney Beattie and Ebony. Oh, I can't remember Ebony's last name. It's two black women own this dispensary. It's actually funded by the parent company, which is Jay-Z's um, fund for helping to fund black-owned business and cannabis. And every Sunday she does tea and terpenes. And her entire dispensary is very focused on educating, educating the community um, and creating that. So there are some of these actions that are definitely happening on the smaller scale. Um, in California, there's a big push to include terpenes on packaging and labeling. But I'll even just tell you anecdotally, my grandmother, who was 93 years old, Jewish lady from New York City, right? Never smoked weed her whole life. I got her to smoke weed one time in Atlantic City. <laughs> then she lives in this, she was like, it was hysterical, by the way. That was a very funny story. But she lives in this building full of like bougie old people in Portland now. And they had a doctor come in and give them all a lecture and said, hey, all of y'all should be smoking weed. Each and every one of you, all of you, all of you, all of you, all of you. It's good for you. It's better than your sleeping medications. 
And her whole bit, the dispensary that's like next door to her building is doing crazy business now. They, they didn't even, they weren't responsible for that. But I, she gets, I get calls from her and her friends all the time. How do I put this battery on this cartridge? Which strange should I get? Oh, your father always picks up the wrong weed. You're so much better. I don't, you know. And my grandmother's like a weed head now. Like she, if she runs out of her edibles, I get phone calls. Well, but see, but most people don't understand it. Like in places like in Israel, they have looked at a cannabis as a geriatric drug for the last 12 years. Matter of fact, I think it was some, since 2010 or 2011, if you have, uh, all you have to do is take your driver's license to one of about six different hospitals and you can get a prescription filled for cannabis just when you turn, I think it's 65 or 70. Because That's why they're ahead in research too. Huh? That's why they're so far ahead in cannabis research as well. Most people, don't know that cannabis, most people don't know that cannabis research was funded by us in yeah, Israel. I know. We're the ones who funded it. But yeah. we don't let people know that. So, I mean, I think it's time if we spent more time doing B to C than B to B. When I say B to C, I'm talking B to consider business and consumer. Right. If we spent more time doing that, you'd have something that would have a groundswell. I mean, you take a look at some of the medications that have taken off in the last year or two when it comes to everything from, you know, pain to you name it. The, edu the, the medications that have taken off, the medications that people see in their living room shoved down their throat every 12 minutes doing a TV show, you know, look at this pill, look at this pill, look at this pill. Mm -hmm. That's what they hear and it reverberates in their ear and they walk in the doctor's office and says, have you heard about this drug? And the doctor says, well, I think it might work for you. Why? Because he's getting a kickback. So right. we start as an industry recognizing the fact that we should have CBD on every shelf in every doctor's office across the country. Mm -hmm. It's legal. Why isn't it there? And well, and like even my when my my grandma's reaction to now replacing all of her sleeping pills with cannabis products with THC and CBD cannabis products is she was pissed. She was really she was really mad. She was like, "This is," and my grandma doesn't swear. She's a classy lady, right? But she's like, this is absolute bullshit. They told me that this stuff is dangerous. My whole life, my whole life, they told me this is dangerous. And now I've been on sleeping medication and anxiety medication and this is, and that's my whole life. They've been throwing pills at me. And all of those are gone now. And all I take is an edible that's made out of plant every night. Like she was mad. Like there was definitely like, she, I, I mean, I, I was shocked. She was just like, this is absolute bullshit. You know, yep. that they're they're so happy to shove their, I mean, even them making like carve out, special carve outs for like FDA approved hemp derived or can, you know, THC derived products, but we can't have whole plant. Right. You know, Absolutely uh, all the states right now, like California and Oregon are some of the most egregious eliminating any kind of medical program. So now, no matter who you are, you're paying taxes on your cannabis. Right. When it's medicine for a lot of it, not for everybody, but for some people, it really is medicine. And it should be treated that way. Now, yes. what, do you, what do you love the most? And, you know, I mean, it should be treated as medicine, especially when the fact that we know for a fact, and this is something that, again, the, the, the public, even I, I am shocked when I speak at events 
And I tell people that, you know, the United States government has owned a patent on CBD since 2002. And in its abstract, it says exactly what they think its medical benefits are. And they look at me like, what are you talking about? Yes, the U.S. government studied it, funded all the studies, a lot of the studies that took place in Israel back in the 80s and the 90s, and literally gave themselves a patent in 2002. People look at me, are you really? Yes. In fact, they did. We don't even know that. That's really kind of crazy. What do you love most about this industry? Um, that that there is no defined thing yet. And that every day I get to wake up and create new solutions for problems. And that it's so dynamic and it's so collaborative. And that a lot of the people that you're bumping into have like all this amazing creative energy and that everybody is just like i mean not everybody but that, that creative energy really drives you like creative there's no agronomic study so when i worked in hemp scale i got to invent new systems for scale operation that doesn't do it for everybody but that definitely does it for me like that was exciting it's exciting every day yeah <laughs> and, what, and what do you hate the most about the industry um the the fact that I feel like you, you, what we've been talking about today really speaks to it is that we don't have a good way to speak to lawmakers about the ground floor reality without us viewing them as antagonistic and which they can be, and them viewing us as silly criminals who are just trying to figure out loopholes for ourselves. That we, we can't have pragmatic, realistic conversations. Imagine if we lowered our taxes three you know, half, we cut the taxes in half, but we doubled the size of the legal market. Like, you know, we would, if we cut the taxes in half, we'd, we'd probably double the size of the legal market, Yep. you know? So not being able to have those conversations or see significant progress, watching people that I, who taught me how to grow, who have been growing since the sixties, go out of business and lose everything right now is kind of the worst. I mean, really, it's it's heartbreaking watching people lose their farms, watching Humboldt County Planning Department take houses and homesteads that people built with their own hands in the 60s and 70s and declare them unfit for human. You know what I mean? Because all of a sudden there's now code enforcement in the hills. Just seeing some of the those the carnage of legalization yeah. is hard. Where do you see the craft cannabis business industry going as more and more multi-state operators take over the space? Someone's going to be running these farms because it's the best place to grow cannabis in the country, period. I've run hemp farms and cannabis operations all over the United States at this point. There is a reason that the best weed comes from here, and it's because the, the conditions are ideal. The weather conditions, everything, um, the climate, and there's a huge amount of trained people for the industry. So someone's gonna be running these farms. I really, really hope it's the people who started them, at least some percentage of them, but someone will own these farms. They'll probably buy them for pennies on the dollar over the next two years if we don't do something to save them. Well, you them. know, I mean, there's, there's, there is the, I know you know of the Cornbread Mafia, which is, you know, Kentucky in that area, which a lot of people don't know, one of the biggest busts in cannabis took place there, not in Humboldt County, there, Oh, that was before Humboldt. That's where all the weed was right. grown. That's where all the weed was grown. And so, you know, now they've had some a nightmare in the last couple of months with the flooding that's taken place. Yeah. But, but, and that's probably damaged a lot of the hemp plants and a lot of hemp prop, crops that are there. Oh, yeah. They're going to bounce back and they're going to bounce back strong. But, but how come we got, uh, you know, 
the hemp bill passed? Well, Mitch McConnell. Of course, McConnell is a Kentuckian who wanted to make sure that his you know, constituency got an opportunity to have a piece of this market. But then he turned around and has been shoving everything up everybody else's butt since. And it's time to, you know, turn around and recognize that, yes, Humboldt County grows really good, good cannabis up in Northern California and Oregon area. But we can't, we do have other pockets in this country that, again, if we just came together as an industry, we could lobby strong. Um, you know, anything else you want to add? <clears throat> um, I mean... I, I, maybe to, to all those folks out there who are battling it right now, like, uh, you know, I think the message is true. We all, ha we have to figure out how to get under the same umbrella. Cause if not, we're going to get flooded. We're, we're going to lose our foothold. We, ha we have to figure out how to coalesce, how to work together, how to set aside operational differences, how to set aside things. I mean, gosh, I could be talking to everybody in the whole United States of America right now. The reality is there was a time in which we all knew how to disagree and uh, and still work collaboratively together towards a larger mission. Absolutely. I mean, especially now, this is the, this industry has is, is really got to figure out a way to come together and coalesce or we're not going to exist. You know, I mean, yeah. it's, it's a it's one, you know, legislative initiative away from from I don't think you can ever put this this, you know, cat back in, you know, the back now. But but no. they can do as much as they can to stop the cat from flourishing. Well, I got to say thank you so much, Anik, for being a part of this show today. Um, you know, I know people are going to want to reach out to you. How will they get a hold of you if they wanted to get a hold of you? Did I lose you? Uh, you're back. I'm on Starlink because I live up in them hills. <laughs> and it's usually pretty good. <laughs> Thanks, Elon Musk. But mm -hmm. <laughs> it's usually pretty good. Every once in a while, it drops out. Yep. But, so, but yeah, they can't put the cat back in the bag. It's here. They can make our lives difficult. They can decimate the legal industry. They can decimate those folks who came out with, you know, earnestly with the intention to and the desire to try and build something legal for themselves. But I mean, cannabis is here to stay. If my grandma's smoking it, good luck getting rid of. Good luck taking anything away from Judy Goldsmith. <laughs> so tell me again, how can people get a hold of you? What's your your you know? black market certified on Instagram is probably the best way. Black market certified on Instagram. Okay, good to go. And um, I got to thank you so much for being a part of the show today. Wish thank you the you. best of luck. And I'm going to make sure that uh, my CEO president reaches out to you. Her name is uh, Melanie McLaughlin. I would and love Melanie, that. Melanie's been stomping in this business for quite a long time. So awesome. uh, I really I appreciate that. that. Absolutely. And maybe there's some stuff we can do together. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time today. I, and you doing this show is great because you like, I mean, I, when I just two seconds, sorry, but when I like would stay home from school sick, like your face is there's ubiquity and to your face and bringing you and what you stand for uh, into normalizing these conversations about cannabis is like really important work. I mean, it really, it's really important. And I'm grateful that you're doing stuff like this. Like it's, it's valid. I thank you so much. I've been banging away at this for 20 years and I'm going to keep banging away at this. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for folks like you. I mean, you and, thank you, Montel. And grateful for folks like you too. So thank, thank you so you. much for being a part of the show. And thank you for tuning into this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. 
We'd love to hear your feedback also, so please send us your comments. Hey guys, Montel here, and thanks so much for tuning in to this Blunt's edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Today's Blunt's, I'm asking, I'm talking with Anik Goldsmith, who's the founder of Black Market Group. Thank you so much, Anik, for being a part of the show today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Why don't you tell us what the mission of uh, Black Market Group is? Uh, Black Market Group is about ethically sourced cannabis, a diverse and diversified supply chain, and living wage jobs. That's unbelievable. Look, if you want to hear more about a conversation I had with Anik, make sure you check that little block down below and for, don't forget to subscribe, but you can check out the full 40-minute uh, interview that we did and it's up online all the time now, so make sure you go ahead and look for it and I can't thank you enough for being a part of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.